folks, and welcome to This Is Who We Are. I'm Sean Watkins. This is my podcast and my new album, all rolled into one. Each episode features one song off the record paired up with a conversation with a guest who is related to that song in some way. And that's the main point. Each guest is either loosely or sometimes directly related to the song in one way or another. The goal is just to use this album as sort of a topical springboard for me and my guests. And from there, we can go anywhere. My guest in this episode is the legendary Jackson Brown. I am so excited to have him as a guest. And the song that we're going to be discussing is called Susie Lightning. It was written by a good friend of Jackson's, the late, great Warren Zevon. Jackson produced his first major label record and then co-produced his second. And by the way, these records feature some incredible backing musicians. Um, pretty much all of Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, Linda Ronstadt, Bonnie Raitt, Carl Wilson from the Beach Boys. Not too shabby. Warren is probably best known for his song Werewolves of London, which was a top 40 hit in the late 70s, but he's written a ton of other great songs. Um, Lawyers, Guns and Money, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me, Mutineer, Life Will Kill Ya, Muhammad's Radio, and my personal favorite, Something Bad Happened to a Clown. Maybe the greatest song title of all time. They're all really great. Uh, you should check them out. Uh, but I should say ahead of time, you might have to get past some 80s and 90s production stuff. Uh, but once you do, you'll find the songs themselves are fascinating brilliant and just really really original there's no one like him so as i said in my intro all the guests for this podcast are either directly or indirectly related to each song and this is a case of being very directly related jackson was good friends with warren produced him worked with him a lot but also the reason i learned this song was because jackson asked me to learn it I should say me and my sister. Jackson was putting on a Warren Zevon tribute show uh, in coordination with Judd Apatow at uh, Largo here in Los Angeles. And um, at the time, I didn't really know that much about Warren. Um, so Jackson suggested I learn this song, Susie Lightning. And I'm so glad he did. Um, it's just a really fun song. I love singing it. And yeah, it ended up on my record. I also want to mention that the two guitars I use on this record... Uh, were given to me by Jackson. He's incredibly generous, has an amazing guitar collection, and is one of those people that would just rather see his instruments out in the world being played rather than stored away in a warehouse somewhere. Thank you, Jackson. One of them is a Gibson LG from the 40s, and the other is a Martin Hollowbody Electric that they made for a couple years in the early 60s. You don't see a lot of them around, but they're really, really cool. And uh, that particular guitar is the main guitar on this here song. This is Susie Lightning.
Jackson, thanks so much for, for doing this. Um, so the, the song Susie Lightning um, came to me <laughs> via you because uh, you, had, you had suggested that um, my sister Sarah and I learn it for a um, Warren Zevon tribute show that um, you and did. Uh, was Judd involved in that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was one of the. Um, at Largo a couple years ago, maybe even three years ago. And um, it's, uh, it's such a beautiful song. And, and one that I, I probably may not have come across if you hadn't. And I, well, you I, just said what album it was from, but I don't even know it it's from It's from a Mr. Bad Example, yeah. which I think was in 91. Um, right. Yeah. That's an, that's an album name? I, I usually know the titles of albums, but I, in this yeah. case, I, I discovered this song on his uh, compilation, uh-huh. Oh, Sleep When I'm Dead. Yeah. Which was the first compilation he did, which, which which was you know kind of early on. It was kind of a best of, mm-hmm. really early on. Right. And I love that song. Um, yeah, it's got um, it uh, lyrically like I, I'm in love with it. The first line of it is "She only sleeps on planes," and um, I was talking about this with um, Taylor Goldsmith, um, how genius just that that first line is like it's just got so much within it you know and um you know the song being about you know uh an actress apparently <laughs> that he's he's dating who uh is traveling all around she's the in world. a miniseries in yugoslavia yeah and i also love how specific i love songs that have these really specific well, he's got references. that kind of short story writer or novelist yeah knack for like like putting putting the detail in that makes it somehow more universal than yeah than do you think you, this do you know anything about this song was it no. specifically about anyone? no yeah. i don't know who it was about no <laughs> it, um yeah she's in hungary she sends postcards home does she think of me i'm in hollywood so it's so much like a like a really boiled down uh journal entry but uh <laughs> but, but so not it's it's so special 
really, really cool. I, I think the reason I thought about it for you guys is because of the, 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 the way Sarah plays the violin. Mm-hmm. And also because um, that melody, Susie Lightning, you know, yeah. I, just, I just figured that it would be done by... It's so fun to sing harmony on. And a high, yeah. Yeah. I was just I thought it would be Sarah singing that high part, and you. Know, I'd imagine it for the two of you, but yeah. here you've done it. You've done it yourself. And, yeah. And it's, um, yeah. We yeah we worked it up as um, as a duo, and I don't know how I ended up singing it. Sometimes songs you know start out being one person, and then yeah. uh, and then the other person sings it. Um, but um, I just wanted to ask you a couple questions. So you. Um, I've read a little bit of uh, about um, Warren, and every now and then I, I go into like a you know a deep, you know, a deep take a deep dive into into him online and listening and on YouTube yeah. and and yeah. um, and have just really it's really worthwhile. It really is. Really, do you feel like? Do you feel like? I mean, he's had so much, um, so many amazing people have sung his songs, played on his records, and. Um, just been champions for him. Do you, do you feel like he um, got the recognition that he deserved? <clears throat> the way I feel about that is that you get you like when when somebody is as sophisticated as he is, and you can make the comparison with Randy Newman. Yeah. But no, it's not. It's not really going to be brought as broadly. Right celebrated or as under, broadly understood, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's that's simply simpler, you know, it's mm-hmm. much simpler or that relies on a certain kind of band identity or a certain kind of energy. Yep. He's just kind of kind of too hip for the room, mm-hmm. you know. He's just always operating on a level that and to his credit, I think to his great um, you know, to his genius, he never he never cuts it he never dilutes it he never never talks down to his listener yeah he never dumbs down so he'll be understood by more people yeah yeah and yet stuff like uh you know werewolves of london or or uh you know lawyers guns and money appeals to like the most basic right you know well impulse in all of us you know that yeah howling he's got those kind of howling at the moon songs or these swinging from the chandelier songs that really are Everybody loves. Yeah. At the same time, when you, I mean, you get a song like uh, "Something Bad Happened to a Clown," it's yeah. so so ironic and and sort of arch. You know, there's just something so you know. <laughs> yeah, that song. It is really funny, even though. Yeah. And it's 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 funny and sad and 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 it's it's absurd too. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's sophisticated musically in ways that I mean most people don't. I don't know if they. It's not. It's not as. It's not as winning as. Which you can play all day long and never get yeah. tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's just two sides of him. So yeah. no, I don't. No, I don't think that he ever got as much um, recognition as he wanted. You know, I think he was really driven. I think he was really. Uh, very ambitious in, yeah. in that way, but I think also also ambitious cr- artistically. Yeah, and and insisted on a certain you know level, a certain kind of quality of yeah of work that was in um yeah in, in listening to uh, this morning I was in 
the last couple of days I've been listening to a lot um, of his work and I um, I was <laughs> really struck by how amazingly catchy his um, like you were saying like lyrically he, d- he never dumbs it down for anyone but um, musically there are so many incredible hooks mm. and th- sing-alongable melodies mm. um, just so so incredibly hooky um, just in- incredible um, somebody, one, somebody, I forget who it was. I was talking to somebody about him years ago and they described him as like, um, Randy Newman in a, in a leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, so Randy Newman too is just somebody that's, that's, that's in his, a, a league of his own. He's in, in, I mean, they're only comparable because they have that, they're sort of stand apart from everybody else and, yeah and yeah randy you know randy if you read his his the, their books about him and he, and he just really and he'll say it over and over again he's just trying to write you know hit song or trying to write a song for somebody else and like yeah. and it's, it's because of you know the way he thinks and who he is that they come out so uh you know uh intellectually satisfying you know they they're he's like he's but they're very different in that he is assuming well no, they they both sort of assume a character a mm-hmm. lot. They sort of kind of assume a yeah identity, you know, from which they're singing that is both them and is not them. It's somebody right. like more more universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you produced his first two records, Warren's first two records. Is that right? I produced the first one and I co-produced the second one. And I and I and I got Wadi. You could say there was the same arrangement on both records, but I, but I made Waddy after after what we did on the first album. I made him the producer in the second. Mm-hmm. So he played on the first one. And he then, played on the first one, yeah. and when I met Waddy, he they were playing together. I mean, I I wound up getting more on the deal. He sort of not he, when 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 he and when I met Waddy, they were working in a studio on some demos for Bones Howe, mm-hmm. and nothing. I think Bones Howe really tried to get him a record deal and, and, and didn't. And he had, Bones Howard produced a bunch of stuff. He was a great engineer and he produced you know, Fifth Dimension and a bunch of, I'm not sure what all he, he did, but he was he was a, you know, a producer with a track record and all the stuff that record companies look for when they sink some money <clears throat> into an artist. But, mm-hmm. but Warren, for whatever reason, he just sort of had departed and gone to, and was living in Spain. Mm-hmm. But, right. uh, I was able to get him a deal on Electra because I was doing well there, and uh, not Electra actually, it was Asylum. Did but, you did you know I mean, him before it, he went to Spain? <clears throat> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I knew, I knew him. I met him in 1968. Uh huh. Oh yeah. And he just dropped by a house that I was living in with a bunch of other players, and he, we he was being considered for this project that we were doing where a lot of writers got together and worked on each other's songs, mm-hmm. like a repertory company. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't, I don't think he was interested in doing that. And he just was, I just met him that one time, but it was, I, I met him a few years later when that that all went down and was not particularly successful. So uh, I met him a few years later and we became really fast friends. and. And right away, I mean, he's the kind of writer where you just you hear one of these songs and you like you know it, 
Now, yeah. I mean, like you have to sing it. The next day you're singing it. Yeah. You know, when I mean, they're not hard to learn. Yeah. But they were hard to play the way he would play them. And so, like, there were, I mean, there was inevitably there was a point in time when I th- I would think that I'd be singing a Warren's Eve. Like, Werewolves of London was a perfect example. Mm-hmm. I started playing that on stage because it was so good. And, and, but I didn't play it right. I wasn't playing it right at all. But Lindley and I would play this song. And people would, like, from, from my record company, would come to the show and say, oh, wow, that's, you're going to do that song right. And I said, well, no, nah, I think we should just make a record of Warren's Eve on doing it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and because I would just believe in that, it was especially the era of you know like more than ever that that it was essential that you heard a songwriter sing his own right. song. Not that other people couldn't do it, but um, then I found out that I was playing it wrong. But when, when we made the record, I thought, oh yeah, I've had this completely wrong. I'm playing some <laughs> completely. Do you mean you heard him do it somewhere, and and you just kind of learned it from what you remembered? Yeah, you or, just, they're, they're indelible, you listen, but, but it doesn't mean that you, I mean, it doesn't mean that I learned, remembered it the way he, he sang it, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, some, hit that line, that, that, yeah. which is actually Waddy's, one of Waddy's contributions to the song. Oh, wow. That was written with Waddy, Wachtel, and Leroy Marinell, and wow. Warren. I was probably going... I was probably uh-huh. doing something dumb on the piano that, because it, I had to. That's the way I had to play it, you know. Uh-huh. So, yeah, the 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 simplicity of the way Waddy thought of it was, you know, what, what drove the song and uh, totally lost on me. But there was um, one of my great contributions to the second album was <laughs> was hiring Waddy. I just said like, mm-hmm. we have to have. You know, yeah. you on this. We have to do what we did before. Only have you have you have the job instead of like, you know, yeah, everything going through me. You know, uh, it was just a bunch of guys making records. Everybody assumed the the thing that they were good at, but yeah, you know, what he needed to be. Had you had you produced much before then? Well, Aside the way I your... look at it is that I like I've kind of produced all my own records, even yeah. though. I had a co-producer. Might even I'm not sure if we called Richard Orshov my producer or my co-producer. It's always me working with an engineer. Mm-hmm. When I went to go work with Al Schmidt, I tried to hire him as an engineer. He said, "Well, I I I, I co-produced it with him." Okay, we'll do that. To me, my second album didn't have a. I didn't. I worked with an engineer, and he wanted to, you know, uh, co-production credit on it, and it completely messed him up. Right. Then, then he started interfering with the part that I would be doing and he'd start imposing yeah ju- you know certain musical judgments and I thought you know, so it didn't work but uh, it's always that and what I think is that once you've made a record then you know how to do it mm-hmm. and you should make you should go do what you want to you know how to do yeah. unless you don't want it there's part of the job you don't want and you don't like right you know? yeah and a lot of people find a solace in having somebody else to you know organize Mm-hmm. Or to decide about certain players, right? And when I've worked with other producers, and they were the full producer, which has been the exception, uh, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, it, but it's been ar- it's been arduous because you have to learn how to l- let somebody else, you know, dictate some some mm-hmm. part of the process or make right. the decisions. And, yeah. and for me, it's. I mean, I got. 
I was I was suggested to uh, a n- number of producers for my first record, and I didn't want to do any of them. They were all really good. I didn't want to do any of them. And now I think, God, I could have. Like, man, I could have made a record with Robbie Robertson. <laughs> what was I thinking? Well, I know what I was thinking. was like, I don't want somebody who's really good coming in and supplanting my own right. ideas and my own impu- mm-hmm. uh, impulses. I want to find my way. Yeah. And with Warren, I believe the same thing. that He, he doesn't need a producer. Mm-hmm. I just got, I mean, I just got him the record deal and said I would, you know, produce it so that I would watch over it and make sure that the thing, you know, got done. Yeah. So much of of what I really like in in producers is is someone who says, like, I love what you do. I want everyone to to know about it and to facilitate it in whatever way that is. You know, you, you find yeah. find something that's really special in someone and you just uh, do whatever you can to bring that to fruition on tape <laughs> and you know i mean yeah there are certain people that are so heavy-handed and you know you know can really get in the way of of a, yeah. of a young artist's um originality you know yeah. especially when you're you only you only get to make a first record once and um and so i think it's i think it's really you know if i had to pick a way i think it it's it's better to start start that way you know um at least in making demos and um you know, but every artist is different. You know, you have a strong, clear vision for what you want to do. and Not always. And I just think that we'll get there. I, I'll know it when I hear it. You know, right. I don't really, I don't really have, uh, but I also, I mean, I, I don't have a clear, a clear vision of what I want to hear until, until, but I sometimes, there are people that I want to, I, that I hear do something and I think, oh, I want that. Mm-hmm. I want that thing. Yeah. And a lot of times my ideas are so surpassed by what people actually come in and do. I think, I mean, all I could say is that I was on the right track. Right. But I did not really know yeah. how great something would be once I got the guy in yeah. there to do it and it would turn, you know. Well, you, yeah, you start out with like a skeleton or something to fall back on and then leave room for development to go you know beyond yeah, that but i'm also yeah and i'm somebody that's that's happy when the song is when the lyrics are finished so i don't have very high standards <laughs> of what the track is supposed to sound like or you know that was what waddy was like waddy was maniacal about mm-hmm. how he wanted the drums to be played and yeah and, and warren too they had a they had a rapport waddy and warren always had like a a, a really you know great chemistry about Mm-hmm. attitude and about the way things should be played They're both like crazy about the rolling stones and um and loved the you know the uh sex pistols when they came out and mm-hmm. we're, we're always kind of you know way more rock and roll than i was yeah. and 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 so he had he had company there i think it was a good it's good to have three people yeah you know mm-hmm. and then um but it, you know, like all creative relationships, it, it didn't didn't last very long. And by the time he was making his second album, you know, I think I was kind of a. I mean, he got on better with Wadi, and and plus, hmm, he was he was he was acting acting in a kind of like a I what I thought was a kind of like a contrived kind of like you know like a, a, a like a a wild man. He was like I thought he was doing this. He was like putting this on. He was kind of laying it on a little heavy, you know. Mm-hmm. In fact, he was way crazier than I knew. Hmm. 
way, way, you know, mm -hmm. wilder and more, and certainly not in control of anything. And he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't living a wild life mm. on purpose. He just was, yeah. you know, he was an alcoholic. He was, he was, um, brilliant and, 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 you know, compelled in ways that, that, I didn't understand. I just thought, well, if you write, if you're writing these songs, the guys must. At some part of him, there's like a calm center, you know. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think there was a calm center right. there. He right. was just. Oh. But what happened is what what happened in Warren Zevon's life was that he got sober, mm -hmm. and he became. You know, unencumbered by, by his addiction and, yeah. and, and, you know, had a very fruitful. Yeah. We sober for quite a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, it, I don't think it was easy for him to get sober, but when he got sober that he was really committed to that. And I think actually he kind of exchanged one addiction for another. And if you read his, the, the book that his wife, Crystal, his ex-wife Crystal mm -hmm. wrote, um, at his behest, I mean, he like told her well, when he was dying, he said, well, you know, you'll have to write the book. They were very wow. close. Wow. And he said, you'll have to write the book. And here are my, my journals and my notes. And wow. don't leave anything out. Wow. It's up to you to tell the, you know, mm -hmm. tell <laughs> the story without pulling mm -hmm. any punches. And so it's such a hair-raising story that publishers wanted that book to be written from a like they wanted the most salacious details and they wanted to it didn't need to be made more sensational it was already sensational right. and pe people people reading that book i think i knew people said wow what what's your trip man why is she like she like and what's is she trying to spill you know all this mm -hmm. uh but she didn't have to. It was just she no, was just no, telling it the was way it was. And if it. anything, she actually had the, the good sense to pull some <laughs> to pull some details back to like yeah. to keep the. She, she did have to fire one publisher. She just had to like leave a publishing situation because they wouldn't let up with the like we need to like this has to be zingier. Mm -hmm. You have to be no 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 like I mean there was stuff that they wanted to uh, sensationalize that she just didn't look at it that way she's yeah. a very good writer crystal crystal yeah. zivon and you know the mother of one of his children and and uh they were very good friends at one point i remember him telling i think she told me this but when she called warren to tell him that she thought she might be an alcoholic he said oh crystal this is wonderful <laughs> Oh my gosh! So, because not that she was an yeah. alcoholic, but that she understood it, right? And that she was going to do something about it. Because right. when Warren decided to get sober, he got sober. He, he I mean, he, he, held, he held a press conference. Mm -hmm. He held a press conference <laughs> wow. saying, "I'm an alcoholic, and I'm gonna, I'm, I, and I, I am not going to die a coward's death. I'm going to solve this." problem and i'll be back mm -hmm. and 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 with with very few slips i'd say like only one that i know about mm -hmm. he really did that yeah and he did it for himself did it for his work yeah he did it for his kids yeah and when he got his diagnosis when they when they uh diagnosed him with ca inoperable cancer you know he 
he went he went to work on a, on a, on a last record and yeah. wanted to achieve more uh you know he wanted more recognition so that he would actually it would he would leave his kids something it was out mm -hmm. of the sense of you know perhaps I'm sure he thought in terms of some legacy, but I think it must have been thinking like about that all along. But he really just wanted to make a successful record that it would yeah. be there for Ariel and for Jordan. Did you did you notice any any difference in his his writing or artistry when once he got sober? Anything um, noticeable? I I I no I can't say that I that I could say no no I mm -hmm. just it just was better than ever mm -hmm. as good as ever better than ever I mean he didn't have he he didn't have hits after Werewolves of London or Excitable Boy that second album mm -hmm. was a breakthrough record and that that's a function of the, your career and who's in, who's driving the career and who you know I mean he but he right. made incredible songs that that and that's that's why he's such a cult figure because his writing's so strong and because he isn't somebody that w that you got uh, in any normal way when you you hear a song boom boom Mancini I mean he didn't write he wrote about stuff that nobody else wrote about yeah who writes songs about a about a prize fighter you know mm -hmm. or or um or you know this his view of this actress and you know in Susie Lightning. Yeah, it's like, like he's, he didn't have to be an actress, but yeah. just somebody that only like sleeps on planes and never like. Let, I mean, it was a it was a romantic view of a certain kind of, uh, but it was it's a forlorn song. You know, it's about mm -hmm. somebody that's like she's out of reach. It's also but. fun to. It's kind of a, a switching the perspective, you know, because musicians are always the ones that are out on the road, and you know. Um, it's funny to to kind of hear you know sung from his perspective of being you know home while the actress is out traveling the world and and doing what you know what he probably you know would normally be doing. It's, it's a great I love. I like it. it's the a great perspective of saying she's in you know is it Hungary or there Yugoslavia? one's Yugoslavia and one's Hungary. Yeah, so she's in Yugoslavia in a miniseries, yeah. and I'm here in Hollywood. It's, it's it's ironic, and if you and the irony yeah. has always been in the songs like his his song uh, the French Inhaler. Mm -hmm. You know, you said you were an actress. Yes, I believe you are. So I drank up all our money right. with these friends of mine in this Hollywood bar. Yeah. With these phonies. No, no, with these phonies in this Hollywood bar. These friends of mine in, mm -hmm. a Hollywood, in this Hollywood bar. So yeah. he, he, he reduces himself to the same sort of run-of-the-mill Hollywood wannabe. Yeah. You know, uh, and washed up, you know, loser. I mean, he... He's so dramatic, you know, mm -hmm. and 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 of course, when he wrote that song, he could very easily have like just passed through Hollywood and never made a made a, any kind of success at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's it's a very hard view of the world that he's holding himself to, mm -hmm. and and especially uh, when he's talking about you know, and when the lights come up at. Too. I caught a glimpse of you, and your face looked like something death brought with, with him in his suitcase. I mean, yeah. who hasn't seen somebody yeah. looking really bad when they hit the fluorescent lights <laughs> at closing times? Like, ooh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but that's that's a particularly damning, you know, of of him and his, you know, the mm -hmm. woman he was uh, in the in the song. Yeah, he. I've I've noticed he he's not afraid to write I don't mean about damning. I don't really mean damning. Just harsh. Yeah. Just you know, hard. Not Tough. afraid, yeah. He he really um, 
there's a lot of references to Los Angeles and Hollywood too. I've noticed yeah. kind of throughout a lot of a lot of his. Did you ever did you ever hear like "Join Me in L.A."? Yes, because that's got that great line. They say this place is evil, but that ain't why I stay. Yeah, because I found something that'll never mean nothing, and I found it in L.A. Yeah, <laughs> so good. It's, so, it's uh, incredible writing. Um, yeah. When I have a couple more questions. Um, so when uh, when you when you made his first when you worked on his his first I guess major label is uh, I guess it was eponymous record it was just uh, self titled yeah. that's that that was the first one you worked on that, yeah he had made a record before that called Wanted Dead or Alive which I right. still don't I'm not very familiar with but he had so he he but it wasn't really a major label release no or, I don't think it was yeah I don't know what it was labeled as so well. when you um. It seemed like there was um, a lot of... Uh, like, did you pick the players that were on it? Because it seems like there's a lot of Fleetwood Mac members. Um, and He knew them. He knew them? He knew them. He and Wadi knew them. And mm-hmm. uh, he knew Lindsay and Stevie. And and they he picked those guys. I called Carl Wilson. Mm-hmm. We 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 talked to a bunch of people on that record, but it's just a, just guys sitting around thinking who would be good on this song, you know. Yeah. If you have like this song like Desperados Under the Eaves, and you know, like to, we got Carl Wilson to come in and sort of make a faux Beach Boys yeah. sound by by getting Billy Henchy from the Beach Boys, and he and Billy Henchy. And at one point, they said in the middle of the session, they said, "Oh man, this is gonna be so great. Maybe we should call uh, Brian." Mm-hmm. And they looked at each other and went, "No, we shouldn't call Brian." <laughs> <laughs> but but they used Jay Winding and me and Doug Haywood and we put five voices you know together and we mm-hmm. did some some of the stuff that Carl heard that that you would have done in the Beach Boys yeah it didn't have to you know we didn't really sound we sounded enough like them mm-hmm. to do to make the point yeah you, I don't know if you'd really want the Beach Boys all there for like singing this right you know. Yeah, it would have been great to have the Beach Boys. I mean, all of them. But it, and, and in fact, we did because Carl was, he, you know, he was the guy that sang "God Only Knows." He was, yeah, his, he mean, was the high part in so many of those. So much of what I thought was Brian, that I've come to learn was him. Was Carl? Yeah. Incredible. So we had those kinds of ideas, but um, basically, we also were using some of the players that played with me. I think he had. I think we might have had Larry Zach playing on a song. Mm-hmm. We had Bob Glob. Yeah. Jay Winding, uh, it wasn't always, I mean, we were willing to cut things a number of times. At one point, we had Jim Gordon playing on something. But we didn't, we had a very small budget. Mm-hmm. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have the budget that a lot, I mean, and, 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 and a John Landau, the, uh, Guy who produced the Pretender yeah. was just sort of dropping in and watching us work sometimes, and he said, "Well, why don't you go get more money from the record companies? This is <laughs> going to be great record." Yeah, I said, "You can do that." I could. He said, "Yeah, just go in there and say you need more money, like you know, play him something that that you got that's really good, and just go." I said, "Okay," you know. So we got some more money, but but they had Geffen. David Geffen had said. From the beginning, he said, "I don't know. 
I mean, this is some, probably somebody that's not going to make many money. Is this just something, just one of your friends that you want to make a record with? He's a right. friend of yours and you want, you know, I said, no, no, are you kidding? Listen to these songs. Yeah. And he didn't quite get it. But I mean, but this was, but for instance, he asked me like when he first signed me and Glenn Fry and J.D. South, he asked me like, he said, do you, what do you think of Ry Cooter? Yeah, I said I love Ry Cooter. Are you yeah. kidding me, Ry Cooter? And this, he had like made available space. He had like the first album was like. He says, "Nah, Ry Cooter, man. Wow, I don't really, I don't really hear that." Wow. I said, "You kidding me, right?" No, he said, "No, I don't." Wow. He said, "It's not gonna, it's not gonna do." <laughs> no, he's not going to do what I, you know, want to do. And I thought, right. there, that's there's the limitations of a certain view of the of the music business. Where, right. I mean, well, Geffen's a song lover, loves songs, mm -hmm. and and he had pretty great instincts. Yeah, you know, he 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 brought a lot of uh, he signed a lot of great people and brought a lot of music to uh, fruition for his, you know, love of what it was. But I mean, the, I, not, not everybody I brought to him got signed. And, and, and that's just a, that's just maybe the best example I can give you is like, didn't bother me that he didn't hear Warren's songs. I just kept saying, you got, we have to make this record. And then right. when we did it, when it came out and it got this incredible critical response, he says, huh, you were yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> but he still didn't say, now I love it. You know, <laughs> you know, right, right. It's Cause it's, it's in a way it's kind of it's 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 a song on a certain who knows maybe maybe you have maybe maybe i should check back with him and see if he yeah if he I likes mean, these songs yet. the stuff the stuff that a lot of people like you know a lot of times it's it's the it's the things that a lot of people really like that a lot of other people don't like or just don't it just doesn't doesn't get it goes over their heads yeah. you know like if you take a song like uh, the vast indifference of heaven you know, it's not for everybody. Not yeah. everybody's going to connect with that that thought and that yeah. idea because it's just so. But to me, it's just. And sometimes you have to. Hear, I was going to say to me, it's just an incredible song. Mm -hmm. But it's, if you listen to his version, you have to have a taste for his his way of singing and his way of telling the truth. Yeah. And some songs he sings incredibly, like if you like later songs. I mean, he really did learn to sing mm -hmm. way better than he did in the beginning. But in in a way, he never had to sing any better than he sang on Werewolves of London or Excitable Boy. There's right. this roughness yeah. that that is synonymous. I mean, it's it's with the the author. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he's a guy that you know. I mean, he liked a certain kind of toughness. Mm -hmm. One time I introduced him to an audience. Uh, he was opening for me with acoustic guitar. I said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the, the, the Ernest Hemingway of the 12-string guitar. And when he got back off stage, he said, it's not Hemingway, Charles Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> the Charles Bronson of the 12-string guitar. You know, he, that was all. He doesn't want to be, you don't want to over... Reach, you know, he didn't want to like, and I don't even know if he even liked Hemingway, but mm -hmm. there's an authorial, uh, is that the, is that even a word? Authorial. Uh, authorial aspect to, to the way he sings Werewolves of London. Mm -hmm. And 
but and and so but he but he had a hard time singing some of the ballads and and especially as he smoked more and drank more and mm-hmm. you know he he living living the rock and roll life yeah which you know you could say is part and parcel to what he was talking about i didn't i've never really thought you needed to like you know be live a self-destructive life to play the, to play that character manifest right. better if you don't right so i yeah. don't think it was up to him though and hmm. what, what i wanted to say was like songs like Susie lightning he sing he can really, he's singing it yeah he's singing beautifully mm-hmm. and, and on songs like uh uh, something bad happened to a, cl- a clown. Also, he just sings, singing wonderfully. Yeah. And what he told me at one point about the, when 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 he made "Life Will Kill You," he said, "Look, I I figured out a, long, a while back that if they're only going to sell a certain amount, then I'm only going to spend a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. That's the way I'm going to get to do this and keep doing it." So he didn't right. even have any. He didn't have any rhythm section. I said, "Well, you should go to your record company." I'm taking a page from that Landau advice. It's like, mm-hmm. you should go get some more money, playing what you got, and explain to them that this is, you know. I said, "Because yeah. don't you want to make that record that is going to be like the record that everybody had to have that year? Like that's yeah. that's that's a way of, you know, and and I think that he had, like I say, he was entrenched in that survivalist mode where where. If I want to do this, I can't spend all that money. And, and what he would do is he'd work at home. And he sang, and he sang, and he sang, and he became his own, the judge of his own vocals, and he held himself to a high standard, and he became a, a, yeah. a, a, a good singer. I mean, it seems like he, from what I know, it came from a very kind of intense musical and instrumental background. And like, I mean, didn't he spend some time with... Stravinsky when he was young is that... yeah yeah he got to meet and visit Igor Stravinsky yeah who he said was living in Laurel Canyon and talk about the Laurel Canyon sound <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, his, his he was living in Long Beach and his his mentor the classical music teacher at this school the guy that I think conducted the classical mm-hmm. music program at this high school he was at really liked him and thought he was great and, and he wanted him to meet and he knew Stravinsky and so like they drove wow. up to LA and they got to meet so him. cool yeah and I mean and then he it's he did wasn't he um, kind of MD for the Everly Brothers he was MD for the Everly Brothers right yeah right. I mean yeah I mean that I'm that's, not sure a, if that's you were handling something about that gig that that that's why he knew uh, Fleetwood Mac, or maybe that George he had Jorge Calderon in the Everly Brothers band, uh-huh. and Jorge was really tight with Mick Fleetwood too. Right. So it it's just in 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 the end, people. I don't know. He had a lot of people. There was a guy from the the Beach Boys. I don't remember his name. I'll have to quick get my record out. And, no, no, he's one of the early Beach Boys who was a champion of his, you know, and who mm-hmm. was always, everybody was always trying to, you know, get him a record deal or were happy to sing on his record when it, you know, when it's time to. Right, time right. To. Yeah. I, I just, it. I love the mix of um, kind of the wild rock and roll, rough around the edges, 
vocals and attitude, but with such musical conviction and 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 precision. You know that that mixture it's like of Doc. It's like the Doc Holliday in in Tombstone. It's like that character where like the guy's like he's got an East Coast education. He's like a really right. literary. He keeps he has all these literary references, but he's a stone killer. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. he's and he's dying. Yeah. He's a dying and he's a killer and he's like Yeah, that, that com that's that's a very heady combination of somebody who's you know, but he didn't like he didn't like a literary uh presum he didn't wanna you know, he w- didn't wanna presume or that anybody had ever heard any of that. I mean he was doing he was he was he was writing for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, that the stuff that he could write about, um you know, um, what's the one? Um, I guess what my point is. Pretensions is the word I meant to say. He didn't want to, you know, he did wasn't. He had no literary pretensions. Right. He really just had very high taste. And, right. And uh, was very happy to. Um, but he was always saying this. He was always happy to say some like fundamental truth. You know, like um, I'm looking for a girl with low self-esteem. Right. Maybe you know, and if she if if she won't, you know, maybe her sister will. Right. <laughs> Just like, what's that? What's that from? That's from. I think it's from either the last record, the the second last record. <laughs> um. I I just really love his his uh, how he mines all these other areas of life and subject matter to talk about. Um, you know, it's really inspiring to to see someone who's unafraid to write about, you know, not obscure stuff, but just stuff that he, that seems like he was really interested in, and and you don't get the feeling that he, like you're saying, like you don't get the feeling that he's trying to come across as being heady or like I read all the, you know, reading a lot or right. whatever. It just it comes out in a very natural way, and because because it comes out that way, it's just so fun to listen to and. Um, so you know beyond palatable it's it's just it's wonderful um well like you said um they're really very catching melodies very very hooky and very singable and one time i asked him if i thought if he thought he was an entertainer Mm -hmm. he said absolutely he says if you're not doing that you're not doing anything yeah so he didn't want to you know he didn't want to surrender that that the idea that you had there was an appeal to what you did that was something that you just had and you Mm -hmm. could do you know uh and and at the same time that he um was influenced by meeting people like Igor Stravinsky I think he knew that he wasn't anything like a classical composer he could write strings he wrote the string charts on his first album Mm -hmm. he could write write music and and he wanted to get to do that but he wasn't he wasn't trying to you know he wasn't posing as some sort of uh you know classical composer yeah. at the same time he would all constantly bring up stuff like i want i you know like he he really liked ian tyson mm-hmm. he's crazy about ian and sylvia you know right. growing up he wanted to be a folk singer it was not like right you know and and by the time he was saying this folk music was not happening it wasn't like a thing that Mm-hmm. you know that you were laying claim to it yeah. was like just him telling the truth about yeah. where, where he comes from the, yeah you know. it seemed like he was just you know unashamedly himself and 
you know, I mean, from my, I have no real perspective, but just from what I, from what I gathered. No, but he, no, he had lapses in that too, I would say, because like at one point, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, when he read Hunter Thompson. Yeah. You know, a matter of fact, he was commissioned to do an account of this one um, tour that went to Japan with a bunch of people to, to, to try to stop the dolphin fishing, I mean, the whale fishing and dolphin, it's oh, called wow. the Dolphin Project. And he went along and he wound up turning in this thing to Rolling Stone, which was this basically a very, very much like uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I mean, it was, a, it was like a, just a, a hellacious kind of account of all the drugs that he was taking and, right, you know, and, and, and they just flat rejected it. So like, come on. Yeah, and there already is a Hunter Thompson, and right. don't, don't come with this kind of shit. Maybe, and and it basically, I think damage is standing with with those editors hmm. for a long time. That's interesting. Yeah, and but he so became. It's not, it's not. It's not that he was. He wasn't above, you know, doing that kind of thing. I just think that he was himself, in spite of anything that he did. You know, he was like, "There's nobody, nobody like him. Like yeah, nobody that could even remotely do what he could do." Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that, that's you saw, what really... something like um, Beneath the Vast Indifference of Heaven. One, on first listening, the thing that struck me was like, wow, he's got this line about, you know, he's saying better, they say better times are near. They say, you know, it'll all work out like that, you know, but, but they don't live around here. All right. Billy and Christy don't. Mm-hmm. Bruce and Patty don't, and he's taking this really broad sw- swipe right. at our rock and roll um, royalty, right. and and saying, you know, and he's really ta- what he's really talking about celebrity. You could you could put anybody's name in there that was your, you know, right. but he was using our, you know, yeah, celebrities of the day, and that's what you notice, you know. But really, the song itself is way bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. now, I'm sure that, I don't know if Bruce and Patty are, I don't know what they think of it, whether whether something that I think they'd be, anybody would be proud to be mentioned in a Warren yeah. Sivan song. But yeah. it wasn't a nasty swipe. It was just like, a they don't, you know, they don't live the li- they don't live around here. They don't live the life that you have. They yeah. got a different life, and you, and that you're just making a, a remark about celebrity, right? And he's writing this vast, this huge song about the vast indifference of heaven. That the idea, like all, I mean, what he's saying, like you know, a gentle rain falls on me, all life falls back into the sea. I contemplate eternity beneath the vast indifference of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's just a a, a, a a writing that is, it's way bigger than whatever that titillating remark was at the mm-hmm. moment in time. Because yeah. it's, it's got a bigger grasp of time. Yeah. Entirely. And you mm-hmm. can sing that song 40 years from now where nobody is aware of who those references are. And it'll mean as much. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. You can put your own, you know... Uh, you could Beyonce put the Royals, and Jay Z. Put the Royals <laughs> in, or uh, oh yeah, Beyonce. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, Beyonce and Jay Z. Don't current kind of you know royalty. Did you did you ever co-write with him with Warren? I, I co-wrote with him once. Yeah, we wrote. I can't 
came over to his house to uh, respond to a kind of a, a family emergency, like a kind of like domestic. He was, oh, this, is, this has been, you know, like described plenty of other times, but so no reason not to say what it was, but he was, he had like pulled the banister off the wall. Mm-hmm the staircase and he was like he was like and when I got there and Crystal called me and when I when I got over there things were fine everything mm-hmm. was fine he'd whatever the moment yeah uh, that whatever that moment of uh, yeah rage or whatever had subsided and then we sat down and wrote a song and mm-hmm. we wrote and we wrote a song to his daughter Ariel called oh. Tenderness on the Block only he really wrote most of it I had like I had the idea for it, mm-hmm. but couldn't keep pace with the mm-hmm. drinking. You know, I couldn't. I just couldn't drink mm-hmm. like that, and I I wound up actually going to sleep. But I also had I had like a kid myself. I had a mm-hmm. kid to take care of, and was up really early in the mornings. You know, yeah. I don't know if he was up in the morning with Ariel. When probably not, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. You know, he uh, he took that song idea, the idea that the the double entendre, the tenderness on the block, meaning on the chopping block or right. in the neighborhood. Right. And he made this beautiful, beautiful song for yeah. his daughter. Did you, um, did you, was, what was his, was his method of writing similar to yours? Like, were you guys writing, were you guys, like, did you have a melody, kind of a start, and were you playing guitars, or was there more of, like, focus on just the lyrics? I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm curious with people like him. His his lyrics seem so. Um, uh, it's it see it just feels like they were written as a standalone kind of thing. Like they when they, you know they can really be read happy as a poem, about, you know. And Sean, I'm really happy that I started pulling out these Zevon songs when we would be like singing at, you know, get-togethers, mm-hmm. and if people would. Guy, guys and girls that were playing these traditional songs or whatever, whatever songs may be well-known in, in, in the day, you know, mm-hmm. and they'd hear this song go by and they'd really get into it and they'd love the song and then they'd say, who was that? Yeah. Who wrote that? And yeah. I realized that this, that that generation, your generation, didn't really know Warren no. very much and yet they've started to... I don't think it's because of me playing them in, in a, you know, like in, in at Benmont's house or at your house. Well, that's as I mean, much that's, as that this generation suddenly has discovered. I mean, a lot of people people yell for his stuff in my concerts all the time, and I realize yeah. here's somebody that came to my concert because I might play a Warren Zevon song. Right, right. I mean, he's you're the you're the by far the, you're the 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 main reason I I know of him, um, and you know. There's a lot of stuff that I missed that fell through the cracks. A lot of incredibly influential, amazing music that's that you know is just wasn't on my radar. For whatever reason, I was I was sitting in a bar the other night waiting for a a comedian to come on, and this girl sitting next to me, whom I didn't know, was singing along to the record Mm -hmm. that there was playing, and I said, "Who is that?" She looked at me like. Are you kidding? It's Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, okay. No, I liked him. I like him now. I just missed him at the time. Yeah. You know, I was right. tempt, I was not in in in. That's so funny. That place, you know, that's interesting too yeah. because like you know, there there are divisions, class divisions, and stylistic divisions that exist in England that never existed for us. Yeah. Like there are people who like you know if you if you dug the Stones you didn't like the Beatles. Yeah. If you like blues, then you didn't let the Beatles. The Beatles were too, too yeah. pop. They're too happy. It was all too, too, too sunny. Yeah, you know. And but they, you know, have, have each in their own arena. Like certainly, they became friends themselves and became and were, you know, they out outlasted that kind of odd division. But I mean, I, I, I remember finding out about those kinds of attitudes. Late, they don't, they weren't apparent at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we accepted everybody from England as like part of a movement, you know. Right. But they actually had, you know, mm-hmm. dip their differences in yeah. the mods, the rockers, all that stuff. And then, and what's what's really uh, pronounced is the class divisions that come up in punk music. Right. They had a real economic basis. Yeah. And, and a class basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that once again, punk music had a across the board rebellious factor in in the united states but it didn't we didn't have the same yeah economic circumstances that they had in England. i heard from somebody recently um it may have been my brother-in-law todd who kind of grew up in the on the east coast punk scene but there was at one point that uh this person was saying that uh there was like a kind of a division between people who had record like if you if your punk band had a barcode on it you were bullshit <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the <laughs> barcode, you know, right? selling it. Um, but um, yeah, I, getting back to, um, I, I, I just want to thank you for, for, um, for, you know, turning us on to these, these amazing songs. And you certainly are the one who enlightened me, um, you know, to, to Warren Zevon and um, you, for whatever reason, it just kind of wasn't, he wasn't really uh, on my radar and, and and you know after hearing a couple of those songs it's 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 like um the grateful dead is another like i hear people play these songs and i think what is that and someone goes uh that's the grateful dead (laughs) you know and and then i you know go down go down that that an amazing wormhole and discover all these songs so it's it's been a real pleasure getting to to explore such a you know a wide he's got so much great music so many so many i think i counted like 13 or 14 records and it's yeah, he's there are a lot of deep cuts. And it's, great. it's it's a period of time in which people were encouraged to make their next album and keep keep working in in a in a vein of of music that was being left behind. Yeah. It was being abandoned, you know, liter, the literacy of of his songs. Paul Simon had to deal with the two. I mean, like the literacy was being sort of just, you know, mm-hmm. disregarded and not really carrying the day any longer. Mm-hmm. So you get a song like like American Song, yeah, which is one of the great greatest songs I've ever heard. And you hear it now and you go, like, why didn't I why was I not really catching this when it when it went came down? Mm-hmm. And uh it's it's an amazing song today, and I and I think it was then too, but it just was not what everybody was looking at at that moment and you mm-hmm. can at at that moment and you you could you can catch yourself not knowing whether or not van morrison has a new album out you know mm-hmm. whether there's like whether you've heard you know uh the latest uh of one of your favorite artists yeah because there's so many things being released and and, yeah. and you know 
and it happens fast. Now albums come out and they they either like yep take flight or they they don't. You know? I know There's a lot of great stuff that doesn't. A lot of great stuff is just a blip, you yeah. know, on the on the you know popular yeah, radar. Some of Paul Simon's records, I mean, they've continued to be amazing, and none of them have the culture they call it cultural impact. Or right. Mrs. Robinson or. Uh, yeah, that know, last record of his, Bridge I love. Waters. Oh it's, man, the last record's incredible. It's so and good. And it, Paul McCartney's new record is incredible. Yeah, Egypt I Station. Haven't, I haven't heard that. It's I, I, I just unbelievable. Got... I mean, it's like you know, maybe my favorite re- solo record of his. Um, you know, I, I love his first couple, um, but it, it's just, it's just incredible. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's strange. It's strange. <laughs> People tend to want to go. Look for something that they don't, that's completely new. They mm-hmm. want to go find something that they haven't heard any, they could be, they right. could like disregard their, one of their favorite artists of all time because it's, that's in the past for them. Right. That particular voice and that kind of sense, those set of skill set or the, yeah. the, the talent are just part of your life all up till now. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for something that I've never, you know, and so you, yeah. you, you, you suddenly discover that you love the jazz of the late fifties, you know, mm-hmm. or something, and you immerse yourself in that, or the, or suddenly people just go hog for, for bluegrass or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to do. It's easy. Yeah. Like where, where have I been all my life? <laughs> I, yeah. There's so much music and there's also so much, um, I'm grateful for the, for the phases of life where I'm able to appreciate things that I didn't used to appreciate. You know, there's a lot of records that I heard the first time around and I thought, this is not really for me. And then 10 years later, you know, so I'm I'm grateful that there's sort of like the ability to to evolve and 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 look at that's music also, that I didn't used to like from a new angle and really get to appreciate it. Well, that's like also like, you know, you 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 try to pick through the like the, a photo session and like trying to find the best picture and you don't really like any of them. Yeah. But in ten years from now, they're going to be your favorite pictures of you. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> I know. Any one of these. Any ones one of these. It's great. <laughs> it's so true. A little time, a little perspective. Um, all right. Well, I am um, really appreciate you taking the time to yeah, talk with thanks, me. Man. Um, really just a great, great, um, excuse to hang out, but also get some, some good, you know, inside knowledge on this, you know, a writer is such a great writer, Warren Zevon. So thank you very much, Jackson. Well, and it's always a great, great pleasure to hang with you and it's fun talking about Warren. Yeah. So I don't like, I, I, I continue to think that he'll be, you know, Appreciated more and more as time, time yeah. keep, puts that. I keep hearing about him from more and more young people, yeah. um, and I really attribute that to you know to you and people who are are, are you know spreading his songs and playing them and and putting them out into the world because they, they're they're gonna make a, they'll make a film about him mm-hmm. and they'll start telling this that's that story and it'll go it'll be fueled by his music and it'll be you know those are becoming popular more and more popular all the time the music docs that turn you on to yeah. a period of time and and uh that and that um it was harry nilsson uh documentary so yeah. many people saw that i you know i, I still haven't seen that it's really it's called who is harry nilsson and, and why is everyone talking about him right and um people like a, a friend of mine 20 something in new york who I would never have expected her to hear about it. Right. She was like, this is incredible. I never knew about all this about him. And so they can be so powerful, you know, documentaries. Yeah. yeah. And, um, it, it ignites a certain interest in that, 
you can fo- in that kind of music or whatever it may be, and, mm-hmm. and you can follow it as f- long as you, as far as you want. Yeah, uh, it's not. It gives it also gives a kind of like credence to this the tribute show the tribute you know the bands that like people those are really popular yeah to go see like a tribute band you know, like a band that's not out there playing anymore whether mm-hmm. it's, you know Queen or the Doors or something like that yeah. because people feel and rightly so that they're going to have the main body of work the main accomplishments are going to be curated for them right and they can get it in a small dose they can go see right. that show yeah and get it get what yep. thing what the thing was mm-hmm. yeah concentrate well, i think hit. that's still coming for warren zebon there'll, there'll be yeah. a movie there'll be like i mean i thought a long time ago it'd be great to have a, a like a band that's playing his songs people would go to the, see that show I mean, mm-hmm. if you like okay i mean if there's people out there that come to see a whole one of my shows just because i might do a warren zebon song yeah or that i've known to do do one you know song in a set mm-hmm. uh, pretty pretty uh I also Pretty often, I mean, imagine what would happen if you knew you could go and hear those songs for a whole show and that other people, but like, yeah. it's great when you have other people interpreting. I love it. I love that. I love your version of Susie Lightning. Oh, I thanks. think it's just a, Taylor singing something bad happened to a clown is incredible. Oh, I yeah. Mean, oh, it's so good. Something bad. So angular and, and weird, but not so weird that you lose people like that. That. That, again, that com- that really potent combination of yeah. of, of musical uh, technique and um, you know, there's a lot of odd bars, um, and his melodies are you know sometimes really hard to kind of you know the notes to jump around, but he maintains this really sweet uh, um, sense of just so many hooks, and it's just. Great yeah, pop melodies. Very satisfying. <laughs> Amazing musically. pop melodies mixed with these weird moments. Yeah. It's really great. Well, um, Jackson, I'll, I'll let you go. Thank you so much again. And um, and uh, I'll see you it's on uh, Tuesday. See you on Tuesday. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here we are. Almost at the end, folks. Thank you so much for listening. How great is Jackson Brown, by the way? I am so grateful anytime I get to hang out with him or make music with him. Getting to sit down at his place and, and hear these stories was just a real, a real treat. Um, I should say that he tours more than maybe anyone else I know. Um, he's constantly on the road. He's playing with new people. He's mixing it up band-wise. He keeps it fresh. It's really, really great to see someone from his generation you know, not only out there rocking the hits and completely slaying, but playing new songs and playing them with new people. He's just continually creative, and I find that so inspiring. Lastly, I just want to encourage you guys to check out Warren Zevon's original album version of the song Susie Lightning. It's on a record of his from 91 called Mr. Bad Example. It is something. Um, there's a lot of early 90s reverb. There's a lot of synths. It is quite a vibe. It's really great. My original idea was to play it here at the end, but I don't believe I can do that legally, and I would like to not go to jail, so I'm not going to. But you can type it in. Susie Lightning, Warren Zevon. Check it out. It's really great. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Um, and if you would like to hear my record, Sans All the Chit Chat, you can get it wherever you listen to your music. Just type in my name. All right, guys. Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye. This is who we are.
Hey, this is Betsy Stover. And I'm Amanda Allen. And we do a podcast called Why Mommy Drinks. Each episode, we have a guest and we all share a story of a time that our kids drove us to drink. Parenting isn't easy, but it sure can be funny. Listen to us on Campfire Media. Why Mommy Drinks. Campfire.